Okay, okay. I guess this is just gonna be like a monthly podcast. Sorry. Um, but it's the Dashing MD. Back again with episode 25 of the Dashing MD podcast. Found on the internet at dashingmd.blogspot.com. Found for subscription purposes to subscribe to the feed, which is totally free, but very easy to do at feeds.feedburner.com backslash dashingmd, or you can just click right off the blog. If you want to send us email, dashingmd at gmail.com. I'm the surgery resident who tells it as it is, tries to. Coming to you from the East Coast of America, anonymously, telling the story of what it is to be in a medicine today. And it's a pleasure to be back with you. If you are just joining us, you're so welcome, and uh, I hope that you enjoy the podcast. Uh, for those of you who've been around for a little while, you'll remember that last episode, episode 24, we were talking about what it means to be in medicine, why a person would choose to be in medicine, why me specifically would choose to be in medicine or not choose to be in medicine. And I left that conversation with a request to all of you to uh, send in your thoughts and uh, your feelings and and your own stories. And uh, by the standards of the Dashing MD podcast, you uh, responded with a flood of stories and emails. So without further ado, we're going to go to the mailbag and uh, hear from some of the listenership about uh, what it was that uh, about that podcast that, that struck a chord with them. And, and I'll, uh, I'll weigh in with uh, what it was that they said that struck a chord with me. And without, without exception, it was uh, great to hear from everybody who wrote in and they all had interesting things to say. And, and it's, uh, it's so exciting to have this podcast be a conversation, to have it not just me talking out there into the ether, but to have the chance to hear from people who are listening and, and to hear their perspectives and then to share them with you. And, and the more that, that we can be a community uh, out there in the blogosphere, um, the more rewarding I think this whole experience can be for, for everyone involved, and certainly uh, for me. I mean, it's just amazing to, to know that there are people out there around the world uh, listening to this. Um, some of them I may walk past on the street every day and not know it. Um, so let's go to the mailbag, and we're going to go uh, for want of a better plan. I think we'll go in chronological order, um, starting with an email from a great blogger named Moof, M-O-O-F, whose blog you can link to actually off uh, this comment, which uh, came in off the blog. And uh, Moof says, here's some reasons to be a doctor. One, you can study fascinating things, but unlike basic academia, you are A, not begging for funding constantly, B, not stuck at a university where universities are, at least in Australia, going down the drain rapidly, C, thanked and appreciated. Your audience, if you will, isn't cutthroat peers, but the public with whom you form a personal relationship. Number two. It's an art. Be a doctor for the refined, history-steeped tradition of medicine and for the beauty of the human body. Number three, you can work wherever you want and live wherever you want. Number four, you are always in demand. Number five, how can you not? You've been given a gift of all these skills. It's almost a crime not to use them. Number six, you don't have to stare at a computer screen the entire day, but you still use your head. That's just for starters. Well, Moof, 
uh, as I, I actually uh, replied to the comment on the blog, um, and uh, if you go there, you can see I enumerate some, some counter-arguments to some of these points. Um, but I really think that, I mean, these are, these are some very true things. As I've thought about what it means to be a doctor and uh, thought about the alternatives to being a doctor and the other things I, I would want to do, um, I'm struck by how quickly the glamour of those jobs sort of seems to fade in my head the more I, I think about them. You know, I look at my friends who are in finance, for instance, um, and they make vast amounts of money, but they work really hard all the time, sort of like we do, um, and they just, they seem to have so much less to show for it. You know, on the other hand, they can easily pay rent on a place at the age of 30, which is, you know, also a good thing. And a lot of these points are totally true. They also just don't apply to doctors in training. Um, and I will admit to, to real myopia in that regard. Um, so I recently turned 31. I will be done with my training when I'm 37, which is, you know, a couple of years older, just because I took some time to do some other fun stuff along the way. Um, but, you know, like totally in the ballpark for what age people finish their medical training at. And up into that point, they're not only not being well reimbursed, but things like working anywhere um, is not really, it's not true. I mean, we, we work um, incredibly hard at one place and take it from me. Um, even contemplating moving during your residency is a very fraught issue and one that I'm sort of juggling um, at the moment, but not uh, firmly committed to in any way. And it's been very uncertain about kind of how, how these things work. That said, when you're done and you're out of your training, yeah, you can work where you want, you can live where you want, you will almost always certainly be able to find a job. You don't hear about doctors getting laid off, and there's a reason for that. There is more work out there than there are people to do it, and it's only getting better or worse, I guess, depending on your perspective. But certainly, yeah, I will always have a job, and it's a job where I get to do things that are fun um, and where I don't look at a computer screen all day but still use my head. Absolutely true. The thing I thought that was most interesting about Moof's post, though, was, was her number five, how can I not do it? I've been given a gift of all these skills. It's almost a crime not to use them. Um, I don't know. I, I understand where you're coming from with that. I, 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 it is amazing to sort of have this ability that you forget when you hang out with doctors all the time that not everybody does have that ability. But yeah, I mean, if you go back and look at the podcast, uh, you know, some of the early episodes are focus really strongly on that feeling of of having this capacity to help and to be a you know, meaningful contributor to society um, by virtue of, of what I've learned and how I've learned to be a doctor. And, I mean, when you're in medicine doing sort of day-to-day -day work in the hospital, it is very, very easy to lose sight of the fact that you're helping people at all. I mean, it really doesn't feel like a like a daily you know, miracle granting job. Um, it feels like a real slog, um, or at least it has up to this point. Um, and, uh, you know, 
you forget about the how you're helping people. When you remember it is when you you step outside the walls of the hospital and when you are having the opportunity to to help people that you know or that you're sort of working outside the realm, the normal realm of of medical machine um, as a as a real physician one on one with someone, um, which is something that I think comes more and more with the job, but. Yeah, am I obligated to medicine? Do I owe medicine anything? I mean, I paid $180,000 to go to medical school, you know. Um, I get paid $4 an hour to work as a resident. Um, It's not like I haven't, you know, I've been given this. I mean, I I had to work for it. I I had to strive for it. I had to pay dearly for it. Do I owe anything to medicine? Do I? No. I mean, I don't think I owe anything to the institution of medicine. I I think I do love having that skill set, that ability to help people. But I I mean, I think if I chose to walk away and go to film school, like that's my right to do that. Um, You know, it's it's nice to know that I would always be able to help somebody on the side of the road. But I don't think that what the medical process puts you through requires you to be in the hospital forevermore just because you know how to do it but I do understand your point I mean I understand the idea of of this being something really important to be a part of um and that once you're once you're in you're sort of always in um and I think no matter what I do with my life that feeling of knowing how to help people changes the way that you you look at people and the way that you you look at the world and the way you feel about yourself not just because you see everybody as a collection of uh, veins for putting ivs into and you know bowels for rearranging which to some extent is also true um but because it really does alter your perspective on the world to know that you are a physician in the world in a way that yeah it, it almost certainly doesn't um in in most other professions maybe Anyway, Moof, thank you so much for your thought-provoking points, and and I, I'm glad that uh, you uh, you called me on some of the things that I said, and hopefully we can continue this conversation. Uh, the next email was from uh, our old friend Doctor Anonymous, who uh, also commented just briefly on the post, and it's always a pleasure to hear from Doctor Anonymous, who is the most dedicated blogger um, I know of. Uh, in, in any sphere, medicine or otherwise, um, with his blog and his radio show and his uh, sort of constant comment. We're sort of at opposite polar extremes of the regularity of, of posting and uh, con- contribution to the blogosphere, and uh, definitely check him out if you haven't seen him. Dr. Anonymous um, left uh, a little note just saying that he'd listened to episode 24 and thought that the Thoughts were interesting about moving beyond day-to-day clinical medicine. He says, I myself have thought about moving into bigger picture areas like public health or health administration. Definitely agree with you about having an impact on a group of patients versus one. We'll be interested to learning more about your journey. I thought that was really interesting because it it distilled what I had been talking about in 24 um, really nicely um, into this question that I'm having um, about whether, whether it's selfish of me almost in a way. And I guess this almost goes back to Moose's point as well about 
about whether I have an obligation to sort of do the most good possible. Um, is it selfish of me to sort of go after that thrill of the one-on-one patient encounter helping people? Or should I try to help a broader range of people by being involved in policy uh, development or healthcare administration or, um, you know, trying to, instead of making trying to make do in a broken system, trying to actually fix the system so that it works. Um, and I think I've told you, I mean, I've been incredibly inspired uh, by uh, the political season that we've been having to, to feel that, you know, there there is a chance that things could be sort of set on a path that, that I think is a little bit more sane, um, healthcare-wise and otherwise. And... Um, and the thought of, of playing a part in that is tremendously compelling for me. And then, uh, you know, the question there becomes, what's the best way to do that? And, 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 and does it necessarily mean giving up everything I've done so far so that I can sort of switch tacks entirely and do something else? And the more I think about it, the more I think, you know, that it's possible to be an agent of change from within the system, um, particularly if you, you know, have, have jumped through the hoops of that system, uh, maybe a little more than I have now. Um, so while I'm still sort of honing my resume to send to uh, the White House if things go as I hope they do, I'm not sure that I would, you know, abandon what I'm doing now for the opportunity to work, you know, in an administrative assistance post um, when if I stuck with what I'm doing now, I could down the road kind of work at things that I, at a higher level, if I just sort of have a little more patience with the system. I don't know. I go back and forth on that as well. Next email is from one of our most devoted listeners, our good friend Zero Rocker, who we uh, hear from frequently. Um, I've talked to you guys about and, and talked to uh, via this podcast a few times. He, uh, is a high school student in Ohio who is uh, thinking about going into medicine, and hopefully I'm, I'm giving him some things to think about and, and not uh, confusing his choice too much. But anyway, he uh, he actually sent in uh, a, a long story um, that uh, I, I think is great and, and, and really moving, and I want to share it with you all. So he writes, Hey, Dashing. Glad you finally got out the next episode. I'm happy for you finally having more time for yourself and having a little life outside of work. Recently, I had something happen to me that assured me that being a doctor is really what I want to do, and I wanted to share it with you, and you can choose whether to read it on the podcast or not. I live in Ohio, and a few weeks ago, we had a huge snow, about 16 inches. I was on my way into school one morning from the parking lot and heard what sounded like a scratching on the other side of a nearby van. I looked to see what made the noise and found a man whom I had seen around the school, and I knew to be a teacher, crouched on the snow beside his car. He looked disoriented, and I immediately asked him if he was all right. He mumbled incoherently for a few moments and finally managed to get out, I'm fine. I guess he must have slipped getting out of his car and was able to manage to get himself into the school, which is harder than it sounds, considering this man was close to 400 pounds. I was able to support his weight by having him place his arm around mine and guiding him with one hand down the sidewalk to the school. All throughout this process, the teacher had his eyes closed and came in and out of a sleep-like state. As we made it inside, I looked for help, considering it was an hour before school started, the halls were pretty empty. I asked the teacher if he knew why he might have passed out, and after listening to his incoherent mumbling for another two minutes, 
I finally find out he had diabetes as well as had a kidney removed. While I stood there in a somewhat unconscious stupor, I searched the surrounding halls for any other teachers. Fortunately, there was one nearby unlocking her room, and I waved her down to help. She knew the man and confirmed that he had diabetes and a kidney removed, as well as a long-term heart condition. We led him into a teacher's lounge and were able to manage to get the man to sit down. We called 911 while I ran to get orange juice from the cafeteria for the man. When I came back, the teacher that was on the phone was still talking to the 911 operator and giving them information about the man. I was about to get the man to drink some orange juice and went to find the school nurse for further assistance. Finally, I found them and was sent to get the paramedic crew that was arriving in the parking lot. I led them to the man he was taken away in an ambulance. I found out two weeks later he was okay and was going into a diabetic coma at the time I found him. But the feeling I got from helping that man was unlike anything I had ever felt. At the time, I was questioning whether or not I still wanted to be a doctor. And that felt like my sign that, that that's what I was meant to do. And by the way, I don't think it's selfish of you to be a drama junkie. I think that feeling that you made a difference in someone else's life is uh, in some ways a form of retribution for all the extra time and effort you put in your job. And I don't think I could be happy doing any other job because I don't think with a job like a CEO or investment banker, I could get the feeling of worth that seems to be present in your job. In the end, I think it's a give and take situation. That's all I have for now, but I'll be out here listening for the next episode. Keep up the good work. You know, that's, it's a great story um, because I think it, it speaks to some stuff that's really true. A guy falls down and he's kind of mumbling incoherently and so you give him some orange juice. I mean, it sounds like a simple story, but I know exactly what our friend here is talking about. It's that sense of playing a part in somebody's life that's meaningful because it's not just that you, you know, if you tell the story, man fell down and I gave him some orange juice. It doesn't, it doesn't capture that spirit of, you know, you find someone, you're responsible for them. You make decisions about how, what the right thing to do for them would be. Do you help them get up? Do you not help them get up? Do you carry them into the room? Do you not carry them in the room? How do you find help? When do you make the decision to run for help? versus when do you make the decision to help yourself when you call for assistance you know how do you how do you do that how do you make sure the paramedics find you how do you coordinate the care you've given with the care that needs to be given down the line i mean that story with uh, just replace orange juice with beta blockers or pancreatic resection i mean that story is the story of medicine of finding someone in need of deciding that you want to help them and of trying to set about doing that in the way that makes the most sense based on what you know to do. And I think if you are feeling that now um, and you're feeling it from something so seemingly mundane and yet so potentially profound and you're recognizing the profundity of that, then medicine is the right place for you, man. Um, I think, I think you're, you're right on. And these stories are, are, um, are great. I mean, they just, they do, they speak to what it means to, to be a doctor in a way that, um, that all this sort of highfalutin philosophical back and forth, uh, really doesn't in a way, because it just talks about simple truths of, of helping people. And that is, it is truly profound. Um, 
and that's that's a great part about what practicing medicine is all about i'd also say that like having those experiences early is a great thing to do um i worked as an emt and then as sort of like a pseudo paramedic um because where i was in college they had like there was a way to sort of do all the things a paramedic did but with like a tenth amount of training um, which is bad, I think, for the citizens of the state, but awesome for me because I was giving a lot of medications um, with without having to put in a lot of time. Anyway, uh, I did that all through college, and it was so great, and it really felt like being a member of that community. And, you know, sometimes I, I really, even though now I can obviously practice medicine at a much higher level than I did then, I really, I look back at those moments of, you know, I mean, you talk about adrenaline, like you would be sitting around watching TV and all of a sudden like the radios would go off and you'd go get an ambulance and drive with lights and sirens somewhere. And, and like, it would be you and one person and they were your sole responsibility and you would get them to the hospital. And, and that, that excitement, the sort of field response excitement is a whole nother thing from hospital-based medicine. It is, it's neat because it's one patient at a time. I mean, I think as a physician, you're always juggling so many different things. And and, and I, I one thing I, I really see about myself looking back is that, you know, the times I'm happiest as a doctor is when I'm focusing on one person and one person's problems and not being pulled in a thousand other directions at the same time. And, and paramedic medicine gives you that in spades. And... Um, and gives you a really solid grounding in some sort of basic fundamentals of human functioning and, and ways that people break. And probably the most important thing is teaches you how to deal with patients and sick people and not be scared of them. Because um, there's like a real, at least for me and most people I know, there's like a real like tremor factor in the early days where, you you know, people are sick and you just kind of, you're scared of them and you're scared of breaking them or making them worse and and it's almost all in your head, and it's actually very hard to do. Um, you really have to sort of work through that, though, before you can, I think, be an effective doctor. And I know, like, that my four years of EMS experience before going to med school really put me on a totally different plane than most of my classmates, like, all the way through until, like, late in the third year when they kind of finally got over their, you know, issues with, with seeing sick people. Um, I was, you know like clearly and evidently more comfortable than them and, and, and able to draw on a lot more experience um, that was that was really valuable, I think. Plus, God, it's so much fun to drive lights and sirens, ambulances around. It really is cool. So, um, yeah, for those of you out there who are thinking about medicine or want to get your sort of dip your foot in, um, EMS uh, and, and paramedic school, it's worth considering. Finally, um, from sort of the other side of things, I got an email. I was interested in your commentary around the This American Life story of the young girl with a heart transplant. I, too, had heard that story with interest, not just because I'm a This American Life addict, but also because I've recently had a much more mundane kidney transplant. I was fortunate enough to get a living kidney donor off the list. The donor had asked that we meet after the transplant, and we did, and he keeps in a lot of contact with me. I'm interested in your comments about why donors and recipients should not get to know each other. Obviously, the died-in-a-horrible-way argument is compelling. However, you also made another, which is that the recipient should think of the new organ as their own. I'm interested, then, in your thoughts about a situation like mine, or even a more traditional living donor situation. 
In such cases, it's difficult or impossible to not know where your organ came from, and as such, to think of it as someone else's. Do you think this means there should not be living donations? If not, is it really a reason for not connecting donors, families, and recipients of any transplant? I'm interested in any thoughts you have on this. Um, this is uh, another great email. And uh, um, firstly, um, your point about living donors is a good one. And um, I guess, you know, there's sort of two classes of living donation. One is like people donating to family members, in which case, obviously, you're going to know where things are coming from. Um, and the other is sort of all this new phenomenon, I guess not that new, um, but sort of increasingly popular phenomenon of altruistic donation where people donate their organs without actually knowing who they're donating to. And that, I think, is pretty much just limited to kidneys at this point, um, whereas you can do living-related uh, liver transplants. But that's a, a dangerous enough procedure that I'm not aware of anyone, at least, who's doing altruistic donors' uh, livers. I guess my personal feeling is if you know someone and you know they need an organ and you have an organ that matches and you want to give it to them, then it seems like everybody wins in that situation. And and I don't see there as being any ethical issue with with those people knowing each other. And, and I think living-related donations are great. I mean, both because it allows people who love other people to do something really meaningful for them and be appreciated for it. And it's also, you know, physiologically just better to get a living related organ than a cadaveric non-matched organ. So I think everybody wins uh, with the obvious issue being that there's really a potential for coercion. I mean, people sort of feeling pressured into giving up an organ um, for someone they know uh, when they maybe don't 100% really want to do it. So that's something that needs to be screened against very carefully. And I, and I hopefully is in most transplant centers and is a real issue but but I think on the balance living related thumbs up for everybody going out to dinner after um altruistic donors I, I don't know I gotta say I makes me nervous and you know who am I I you know you're the one who who knows something about this for real um and I just sort of pontificate about it because I have a microphone but uh I think if I were receiving an organ, it would be important to me to not know the person um, because I do think I would feel beholden to them. And I don't think it's reasonable to ask transplant recipients to be beholden to their donors. I mean, I think if it's going to be an altruistic thing, then it needs to be 100% altruistic. You know, the the implication that you're going to get like a friendship out of it even um, just seems like, like it clouds the water a little bit. I don't know. I mean, I'm probably a purist on this. Um, I, I'm a purist on things generally, but uh, but I think it's I think it's questionable. I, I I can't I can't love it, you know. Anyway, um, this podcast is running on. Um, we've just been through the mail, and uh, and I feel like uh, I've managed to get to the points I was trying to get to, which is that. You know, this is a journey, and uh, and boy, there are a lot of different ways to look at it. And I love hearing your perspectives about how to do that. I've got a uh, a cool story, sort of a diagnostic puzzle um, slash exciting time in medicine that actually happened recently. Um, 
that I uh, want to tell you all about and, and sort of give you a little insight into sort of the diagnostic process and tell kind of a fun story. But I think maybe I won't do it this podcast. Maybe I will do it uh, in a subsequent podcast um, as a little standalone module that hopefully will involve uh, just kind of a quick storytelling adventure on my part and therefore will be able something that I'll be able to sort of turn around in the near future. In the meantime, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation, for contributing your voices and for putting up with mine. And uh, it's a pleasure, as always, to be a part of this whole endeavor, wherever it goes, wherever it leads. It's, uh, it's nice to know you guys are along for the ride. Dashingmd.blogspot.com is the place to go for the blog and for leaving comments. Dashingmd at gmail.com will get an email to me. Uh, if you send me an email, uh, let me know if you want me to, to put it on the podcast or not put it on the podcast. Or you know, I'm happy to, to converse with people by email too. Um, if you want to be my friend on Facebook, it's Dashing Doctor, D O C T E U R, and uh, I'm looking for all the friends I can find in life and on Facebook too. And I'll be back soon with uh, a little diagnostic puzzle and uh, more stories from the front lines of American medicine. Thanks for listening. Be well. Take care.